Welcome to Uninhibited, a podcast with the mission to discuss taboo, multicultural, multi-generational, and multi-layered topics that matter to women. My name is Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki. I am an Ivy League-trained OBGYN practicing medicine in rural America. I am married and raising three dynamic African-American boys. I am a mother, a career professional, a part of Generation X, and so much more. I bring to the table a true desire for social justice that informs my opinions, and my hope is that this podcast will open conversations, question beliefs, and be transformative. Hello and welcome to another episode of Uninhibited. I'm your host, Dr. Makunda Abdul-Baki, and today we have Annie in the studio and we're talking to her about her relationships. And we had uh, part one with her before, which talked, uh, where she talked about her upbringing, her educational background, things that led her now in hindsight to um, end up being with men that um, had manipulated her or taken advantage of her. Um, And now um, we wanted to talk kind of the the second part um, to talk about um, the second uh, relationship and um, also just um, her future and where she is now. So welcome, Annie. Thank you. Thank you, Makunda. So tell us about the next long-term relationship. Um, how did that begin? And when did you first notice that there were, uh, you know, chinks in the armor, that there were um, things weren't as they seemed? Yes. So um, the second relationship started um, pretty shortly after I left the first relationship. Um, It started as a friendship um, with uh, someone who was my personal trainer and then we became listing partners um, and so, and then to friends. Um, And and that that turned into a romantic relationship. his home, he was living with his parents at that time, um, but his home offered me a safe place to, to go on uh, leaving the first relationship. Um, but again, I think I, I settled into something that felt comfortable um, as well as better than I, where I was before. Um, looking back, I, I kind of think like our 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 inner teens were, were really the people who connected at that time. Um, I, emotionally, I think, uh, I was pretty immature and, uh, he was as well. And I, I think that was really the, the level that we connected at. Um, but, uh, I, I should have kind of realized from the very beginning, um, that he had problems with money. Um, and holding jobs. Uh, so um, really uh, who he turned out to be was a, a narcissist. Um, I, I always believed him to be a misunderstood genius. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, we he moved from uh, business idea to business idea, uh, always taking somebody else's money to try to make something happen without actually having a real plan. 
um, during that time, uh, or from the beginning of the relationship, I was starting back to school um, at Yale for a master's of public health, um, uh, which was complicated by uh, getting pregnant with our first child. Uh, So she was born during the first year of the public health program. Um, So I was kind of, you know, again, very, very focused on um, other issues than recognizing my own situation, I think. You know, I was worried about uh, and focused on school and on my new baby daughter um, and, you know, kind of... uh, just believed what I wanted to believe that this was the romantic and forever relationship. Um, and that whatever problems there were could be resolved or were a matter of, uh, bad fortune and not of his direct doing. Did money problems contribute to, um, the abuse, like was the abuse physical or mental or at this point when you're um, in the School of Public Health, were things still going well? Um, actually, it was never any physical abuse in the relationship. Okay. Um, he himself had been abused physically by his father at a young age before um, where his mother moved them out, but she kind of really emotionally abused him for the rest of his life. Um, but he kind of, he, that was one of his goals was to never become his father. So his, you know, physical, physical abuse was, was never, um, was never an issue. Um, as far as, uh, psychological or emotional, um, there really wasn't a whole lot of that either. Um, there wasn't the isolation as before. I didn't recognize it as anything uh, familiar uh, in, in, as far as abuse goes. Um, I had friends. I was able to, you know, go out with friends. Um, I had, had, you know, different projects or part-time jobs. Um, those were all fine. Um, and you really didn't have anything unkind to say. What the manipulation was, was all about the money and how money was managed and how money was spent. Um, Mm -hmm. So essentially, um, as as a narcissist and always looking for his own self-interest, you know, he pursued these different, quote unquote, business ideas, um, which never worked out, um, but managed to keep the family afloat. um, but at the cost of mortgaging everybody's future. So essentially, um, we would kind of be on the, on the brink of poverty, um, at any time where somebody hadn't just recently invested in one of his ideas. Um, so we would go through this cycle of, um, oh, there's money, you know, we could, or, 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 or credit cards that came in. Um, so we can take a trip to Disneyland and everybody's happy and we have these wonderful family moments. And then, you know, gradually it would look like there's, there's nothing happening with this business idea. Where is it going? What's happening? And and so that's where the the lying came in and the, and the um, just inaccurate communication about what was going on. 
Who um, were you at, involved at all with the money? So in some, you know, uh, households, you know, the woman, even if the man is the quote unquote breadwinner, the woman literally writes the checks for all of the stuff. So she kind of runs the house. Were you that person? And uh, did you feel like you were kept in the dark or how did you deal with kind yes. of all the ups and downs? I was very much in the dark. Um uh, he had taken over the management of the money right at the beginning of the relationship um, and pretty ma- pretty much made most or all of the spending decisions um, or was adept at convincing me on a particular spending decision. Um, so, yeah, he just convinced me that you know, he was older, he knew more, he used to have a lot of money before, you know, before this and that bad luck. And so he knew how to manage it. Um, that was something I had really never learned, um, to any extent was, was how to, how to budget, um, or how to manage money, how to pay bills. I had done, you know, what little I had in, in college, uh, and in the beginning of the first relationship, but, uh, I was foolish enough to believe that um, men who were older knew better and that I should just leave it in their hands. Um, so that is what And happened. was that the model that you grew up with or how was money handled uh, when you were little? Because it's funny to me that, that money is something that is very... Uh, probably unique in different families. I grew up in a single parent household with my mother, um, you know, and so we were always hip and hip. And I never knew exactly how much was in the ba- in her bank accounts, but I was pretty, you know, I I knew, you know, I knew how we were doing financially. She was always pretty open with how things were going. Whereas when I talked with some of my other friends, they were like, they never knew anything about money. How, what was your situation? And, and as I, and I don't know that that contributed, but, you know, I think in some way, because my mom was always involving me in the money in the household and she was an entrepreneur that I'm now uh, an entrepreneur and, and, you know, doing well at it, but she, she was always kind of the, the books were open for the most part, but I know that that's not the way a lot of people do it. And so what was it like in your family growing up? Yeah, I was, I was completely in the dark growing up. Um, I had really no concept of, of money at all or how much things cost or, where income was coming from. Uh, neither of my parents was working. Um, my father was a um, factory worker who had been laid off uh, just a few years before I was born. Um, he was in his 50s at that point. Um, there's some story about the, the company was restructuring, and so he ended up losing most of his pension in that process mm-hmm. of the reorganization. Um, cause he was laid off shortly before his, his retirement age. Um, my mother was, had worked as a secretary. Um, now we say administrative assistant at that time. It was always, you know, she was so-and-so secretary. Um, she was also not working up until the time I was in the eighth grade. 
Um, so I really had like no, no concept of, of income. And, um, at a very, you know, young and naive age, I just thought, Oh, my parents don't work because, you know, they, they want to stay home and, you know, and make sure the home is great for me growing up as a child. And, um, you know, the, the, the real story was that, uh, after, um, my father's job loss at some point, they, they took whatever savings that there was and they invested it in the stock market and they lived off the dividends from stocks. Um, course I had no idea like had no concept of, of how much money that was mm-hmm. to be able to live off dividends that those stocks yielded um, so and I think I mentioned earlier my mother had some like depression era mentality um, on on savings saving money and um, so I got these weird notions that you know oh if you if you collect the the washing machine runoff water and you use it to flush the toilet to save money on the water bill, then, then that's how you make ends meet because you're saving money, um, mm-hmm. you know, sitting there and cutting coupons and, and running around and turning off lights. So all these little things that saved pennies were kind of my sense of, uh, oh, this is how you, money. This is how you act frugally um, without any sense of, you know, how, what the cost of living was or, um, you know, where money came from. Um, so were you working throughout most of the um second relationship? No. Um after after child number 1 uh came 2 3 4 and 5 <laughs> in in mm-hmm. rapid succession. Um mm-hmm. so the oldest was not quite 7 when the youngest was born. Um so pretty much my my whole focus was on them. Um mm-hmm. and and trying to be um as supportive as I could of um of my partner's uh you know business ventures um mm-hmm. and so I was really uh kind of a a a housewife and a mother um at, at most um as the kids got a little bit older I was able to pick up a few little part-time jobs contract work here and there Uh, But usually uh, it always involved either me working from home or being able to take the children with me because um, he was not really able to care for them um, uh, very well. Uh, So, you know, five little ones running around like that and, and there's potential for all kinds of things to happen. And, you know, the best that I could hope for at that point was to get away for maybe a couple of hours because I knew that they could all sit quietly with him and watch a movie. So how did you, did, did him having control of the finances? Is that how you felt that he um, kind of controlled you and your abilities to, to move around or to do, or was there control or manipulation in the second relationship due to the money? Um, I think that the uh, not including me in financial decisions uh, was the manipulation. Um, I I don't really know um, what his end game was or if he knew what his end game was. Um, I think he, you know, really has some, some deficits emotionally and, maybe cognitively also. Um, 
but for sure he was lying about money and misusing credit cards and um and making questionable deals um while his family was supporting him um so that's that's the point at which i feel it was uh abusive um like i said never really never physically abusive and not particularly emotionally abusive um it was just the manipulation of the money mm-hmm. um that that led to a dysfunctional household of um of kind of always being on that brink of are we going to lose our home um so the last you know i started standing up for myself during the the, the last of the of the business deals before the breakup and um you know just really seeing the light and following my intuition, which had, you know, I had heard my intuition speaking about his other past deals um, and kind of, you know, saw what was coming without really wanting to admit it to myself or saying anything to him. So on this most recent one, um, a few years back, I, you know, was like, you have to stop this. You know, this isn't working. You need to put an end to it before someone sues you or sues us. Um, at, at that point, uh, I was anything in particular that okay that so there your aha moment began perhaps when you also went back to work and had your own finances. Would you say there was a link? Yes. Well, well, they weren't really my own finances because they went into the you know the joint account. Joint account. Still held held all the checkbooks and wrote all the checks and and you know made the decisions and used the credit cards. Um, so, but I I saw it as a as a risk that since I had income, there was something that somebody could attach or or try to take uh, when when the business idea failed. Um, so he had been sued a couple of times in the past by people who, who gave money for business ideas, but there was never anything to take because, you know, there was nothing, nothing that anyone could gain from the lawsuit because there was nothing left. It had all been yeah. spent. And, and there we were in an apartment with loads of other debt. Um, and he also, you know, told me that the way to manage my student loan debt was to just let it go into default because it would be too big to ever pay off anyway. And, you know, when predators call, just, you know, just hang up on them. So, um, you know, so that also uh, put me in a, in a vulnerable place um, as far as uh, a fin- financial situation because, you know, that was not his debt. That, that's my debt that will that is your debt and your forever. Name. Yeah. And my debt and my name and is not going to go away and is not, you know, cannot be written off in a, in a bankruptcy. Um, so, um, so, so you I, had the you know, discussion with him saying that this last business adventure um, was going to go nowhere and he needed to stop. He needed to, you know, stop taking people's monies for investments for, for businesses that weren't going anywhere. And, um, and his response was, well, that's where I you know, things really started to go downhill is because he, you know, yesed me to death in conversations and then um, acted in the opposite manner and just, and just kept going. 
Um, so I, you know, took took whatever means I thought I could and, you know, and went around him and went to the other um, business partners and begged them. In one case, I found one's wife online and I, I begged her to beg her husband to, you know, please stop before there's before there's a lawsuit. And and nothing worked. Um, he had everyone under this um, deception that of, of a of a you know wonderful future picture. Um, and eventually, we we did have to go to bankruptcy court um, and and go bankrupt. Um, and did it ever occur that, to you with your um, with you, since you were working uh, to put aside some money for yourself or to set up a separate checking account? Uh, well, eventually, eventually I got to that point. Um, so, uh, he was keeping a lot of the money as cash, um, had me convinced that a cash reserve at home was safer than putting it in any bank. Um, I later found out that he was spending that because I was kind of kept in in the dark or given confused messages about how much money there was. Um, so I didn't have a good, accurate accounting, um, and um, you know, the the situation with our with the rent continually rising put me in like a a, a desperate strait to just work as many hours as I could. Um, so the the kids were basically you know old enough to to manage on their own. He, you know he he wasn't much help there. Everybody everybody knew how to how to cook and um, you know, basically take care of themselves. Um, so I was just working as many hours as I could. Um, and, uh, you know, still trying to believe that, that the relationship was good while realizing that it wasn't. Um, So when did you finally decide to leave? Well, the, the aha moments (laughs) are, uh, the, my two oldest children um, basically recognizing the dysfunctional situation and and leaving home themselves. Um, uh, someone who was very important in my life, or still is very important in my life, and has taught me a lot about money and finances, um, is uh, a, a woman I met shortly before her 80th birthday. Uh, and she was looking for someone to help her um, organize and clean out her home before moving into assisted living. Um, and we have continued to be friends over the years. Uh, and she does a lot of philanthropy work um, and does a lot of uh, reading um, about um, uh, poor poverty and what kinds of dynamics are at play for families who are poor. So I heard a lot of information from her about uh, one that, that women tend to be the money savers in poor families and the men, when a big chunk of money comes in, they go out and spend it on something big right away. And that just, that clicked right there was, Oh yeah, that's exactly what he's done. Right. Whenever any, whenever any big money came in, it was, you know, let's go to Disneyland or let's buy this, you know, substantial item or let's get a, you know, an upgrade on the car. Um, uh, so, um, she also told me stories about 
friends and other women that she has known who ended up um, in their senior years in very desperate straits because they did not manage money well. Um, and these are women that she has helped support uh, by buying them cars and, and continually helping them with rent, um, but always goes back to the same uh, root cause as they do not know how, did not know how to manage their money. Um, but the, uh, you know, the part about how men in poor families would, would be more likely to t- take a chunk of money and spend it right away. So that when that situation arose again in, in my relationship, I saw it. That's, that's when I think I really saw the light and, and, you know, and it was one of these things where, you know, he would present uh, a large, a large dollar ticket item and, and give a million justifications why this was something we should spend money on. Um, and then he would start pressuring, you know, the decision, uh, make a decision faster, make a decision faster. So this time I said, no, absolutely not, not spending the money. And um, I would like a more accurate accounting and, and, a, and a separate bank account. Um, you know, again, good. You got your own the, separate bank account. That's so, good. So at that point I split the bank accounts um and uh since you know i had put put the put my foot down on on business deals uh his next path was was to pursue um disability so he did have some uh injuries um i believe they were, were extremely exaggerated but he was able to get himself uh disability payments and social security payments um and uh, I did insist that, that, you know, he had to contribute to rent. Um, so I was able to then begin to make ends meet without him spending the money. I realized, well, we really, you know, I have enough to, to pay the rent and save some. And I was able to get that cash that he was keeping aside and put that in a bank account, which he wasn't happy about. But again, I'm fortunate that he was not he was manipulative but not really you know not abusive to the to that extent where um and maybe you know, just maybe by by the, the time after time years after years you became stronger yes um stronger and more informed and um and and realizing that you know we weren't really on the brink of poverty besides <laughs> except for his spending um, you know, gave me confidence that, you know, I could, I could get myself out of that situation or get myself and the children out of that situation, the three who are left at home. Um, and by children, I mean teenagers at this time. Um, so it was really so, the fact that the two oldest ones, they were able to look at the situation um, and say, this was not where I want to be. And then in some ways that made the scales fall off of your own eyes and say, you know what, if, if they can see how dysfunctional this is, then, then I think I have to agree with them. And, and so in some ways it was your children that gave you the courage to finally leave. Yes. In in large part, um, you know, Mm -hmm. for a while I was still defending him as, you know, a misunderstood genius and, you know, he had these wonderful ideas and it was all, bad fortune. Um, but there was another part of me that really saw through all that and understood that, 
you know, he just wanted what he wanted to meet his, his needs and his wants. Um, he spent the way he wanted to spend. Um, and this whole thing with, with pursuing businesses was just part of the, you know, he needed to be the guy in charge. He wanted people to look up to him. Um, and at some level, psychologically, it was some kind of benefit to, to being able to convince somebody to give him something. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was all about him. And it was not about us. Because uh, if it had been about us, there would have been more of a long-term savings plan. Um, he actually did a certification to become a financial planner all the way back in 2003. Uh, when the when the youngest, who's now 17, was was just a baby, um, so at that point, you know, I was even more convinced that oh yeah, he should be in charge of all the money because you know that's he's you know, got he's, he's a, now a certified financial planner, yeah. So and and it didn't take much uh, self education, you know, a few websites and a couple of library books to realize this was way out of line. That this whole idea of of you know uh, telling the student loan um, uh, management company to just you know leave me alone. It's going to stay in default. Was was com- was completely wrong. And to just keep spending and keeping the cash at home um, as as a you, I mean now in hindsight you know the reason why I kept it at home is because when you have things in your name they can be a lien can be put on them and they can be seized. Exactly. So keeping cash at home means that you're untraceable and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that they can't put a lien on because even, you know, if you apply for any line of credit, they want to know how much you have in your bank account, um, you know, any cars that you have, all of that stuff. But if you keep your cash at home, that, that was what, despite what he was telling you, that was really the truth was that, if they if I don't keep it in a bank account, then they can't take it from me when the next idea fails. Exactly. Yes. And yeah. um, I began to see that as a as a real risk uh, because that meant also, you know, if the if the relationship failed, there was the cash that you know he could walk away with and leave me with nothing. Um, so you know, I was I was it was such a relief to be able to put that in the bank in my name. Um, and it was a, it was a huge learning curve. Uh, I never had really realized there was anything besides a savings and a checking account. I didn't know what a CD was or a money market account or, or anything really. Um, I think that's so, you know, I hope that women can take something away from this because while very educated on one end, I do think that because, you know, you've got your master's, you've went to some of the best schools that are in the world, you know, bar none, Yale, Penn, Cornell, um, all of those schools. But finances is something that I don't think that we we stress enough for our uh, female children, almost to the point, even though we're raising them to, quote unquote, you know, be anything you can be, take over the world, do anything you can. If you don't know how to manage your money and make good financial decisions, everything else um, can crumble. You know, you, you it's hard to um, 
maintain all of the achievements if you don't manage your money well. And it's almost as though, even though we're, we're supposedly so far away from the 1940s and 50s where it was, you know, you, a girl got married and then her life was set because that husband was, it was, the marriage was supposed to last a lifetime. He, he, he started off um, you know, middle management rose to senior management and the money always came home. And, and, you know, we had the whole June and Ward Cleaver type of life. And that's so, I would think that type of scenario is such the minority now, but for some reason, I don't, like, I know I can at least speak for the state of Virginia. They've done a lot for every, for every, a student to to have financial literacy to um it was something that um our senator warren had um sorry not warren warner uh, mark warner had um proposed and then it became law and so um every high school student has to take a class on personal finance and so i just you know i'm just echoing the fact that you can have a whole bunch of uh, education and be completely, you know, very well read, very knowledgeable. But finances can be a completely different ball game. It's true. It's true. And it was just, it was just a mystery to me. Um, and there was always a reason for me to to say I, you know, I couldn't handle it because, you know, I was focusing on school or I was focusing on children. It just wasn't my forte. He could do it. I put, you know, I just put my trust in him. Um, so, uh, it, it became terrifying as, as our rent continued to go up, uh, and up and up and up. You know, I spent all my time working, but still could not make the, um, could not make, could, could not find another place because, um, they, and we had, we moved into a, a large apartment, uh, by transferring within the same apartment management company. So a credit check or an income check had not been run since 1998, um, the, the first apartment that we moved into, and we just kept transferring and the rent kept growing. So we were paying this astronomical rent that just kept going, going up, but the management company would not even let us downsize to a smaller apartment because my income did not meet the requirement of being three times the rental amount. So it was like we were stuck in this overpriced and continually rising rent apartment um, because my my income uh, I was you know only been able to to earn a a you know a modest income um, as mm -hmm. you mentioned with my my gap between um, education and professional life um, so so they would allow us to you know stay in the same apartment and continue paying rent because that didn't require a credit check, but to, but to try to move into something less expensive in the same complex where we'd paid rent on time every month for almost 10 years would not be allowed. Um, mm -hmm. So it was, it was really, you know, stifling and terrifying to be in that position um, and trying to figure a I'm way feeling out. like a hamster on a treadmill, just trying to make the rent. So tell us right. what your new life is like, because you, you were eventually able to bust out of the hamster wheel. Yes. So eventually um, what, what saved us was um, I was able to put enough money in savings 
um, and find an apartment complex that was willing to uh, make a judgment on savings in the bank versus monthly income. So rather than proving that my income was three times the rent, uh, the qualification was if you have the the total rent for 12 months in a savings account, then you qualify. Um, wow. So so I, I got past that by the skin of my teeth <laughs> with, with, you know, one more deposit as they, you know, as they were, as they were checking the numbers. Um, and, um, and so now, uh, it's myself and the youngest two, uh, daughters in a two bedroom apartment. Um, the, the ex, you know, when, when I, you know, told him that he had to leave, um, he wasn't, he wasn't going to leave. Uh, you know, he was staying on as long as his name was on that previous lease and I couldn't get him out. Uh, there were no, there were no legal ways to remove him from the household. And since we were never legally married, there was no legal filing for divorce either. Um, Mm -hmm. so I told him, um, after, after re-signing the previous year, you know, because of being stuck between a rock and a hard place, I finally told him, I said, you know, come hell or high water, I am getting out of here. I am leaving this apartment and I'm, you know, taking whoever's left with me or whoever wants to come with me with me and you are going to have to find a place to go. So um, I think that's when he really full-fledged started pursuing the disability angle of things and uh, and pulling benefits from, from different places. Um, Again, you know, a lot I realize now is on completely false information. Um, and, uh, but he was able to get into low income housing. Um, unfortunately, he convinced, um, one son to come along with him. So they split the rent there 50 50. And I am, you know, concerned about that, that son, the middle child, um, uh, you know, because, Eventually, something something is going to go downhill there, or or become manipulative. Um, but you know, he's an adult, so you know, I try to keep conversation open and uh, and not be overly judgmental, and just you know, be here if something happens um, that he needs to escape that situation. Um, but but so life now is uh, life now is is stabilizing. Um, so I've only It's know, a process. Been, it's a process cuz you spent is, the is. better part of your adult life um when we had conversations before it it said you kind of said um in in a way that you were kind of moving from one rescuer to another like leaving your parents moving to the first husband because that situation seemed better than the the par- the staying with your parents because they'd put some ultimatums on you and then with when that marriage ended moving on to the next relationship again it seemed like it was a better situation um th- somehow being rescued somehow being saved and now you know after um about 50 years of this you are on your own two feet and uh you are your savior and rescuer and so it is a process it's probably a lot of unlearning some habits and learning some new ones yes yes and and 
I have to tell you that being your own rescuer is the best rescue of all. Yes. Um, it, is, <laughs> it, is, it is definitely the way to go. Um, you know, not that anyone has to, you know, go it alone. Um, definitely finding people to support you is, is important. Um, but, uh, you know, as far as, as parting, parting wisdom, um, women should know that they, they can do this. Um, it is possible. You can, you know, rescue yourself, um, and take control of your life. Um, you know, trust your, trust your inner voice, trust your intuition, you know, all those years that, uh, you know, I, I kind of shushed that voice and, um, and, and held on to the, to the, uh, to the dream, to the illusion that it was a happy marriage and that, you know, he was going to, you know, make that fortune with his successful business deals. Um, you know, I, I wish I'd listened to my intuition and inner voice earlier. Uh, so, so hold on to your inner voice, hold on to your money. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot. I think there's more that I can definitely, I mean, there's the Susie Ormans and there's definitely a lot of gurus that are out there, but I definitely think there needs to be a push. At the end of the day, I mean, I don't per se enjoy doing the books, but I enjoy knowing where I am financially and I enjoy having financial stability. So it's a trade-off. It's kind of like uh, maybe not enjoying the hundred sit-ups, but it, you know, liking the way you look or, you know, liking the six pack. So it, it is, it's, it's always work, but, um, finances definitely the work does result in rewards. And, and I just want to end on everything that you've said that for, for women, for everyone, um, but, you know, we do really focus on women, um, hearing their voices, um, being your own rescuer is the best rescue of all. So thank you so much, Annie, for sharing and being so honest and, um, just uh, letting us into your life. I'm happy that I'm happy with where you're going and, uh, you know, the best is yet to come and, um, you know, just keep moving forward. Thank you, Makunda. And thank you for the opportunity to share. Um, if I can read a quote, this is something that I found on the internet, so I'm not sure who to attribute it to, but I, but I saved it because I think it's important. Um, it's a picture of a bunch of old keys. And it says, don't be afraid to share your story. It could be the key that unlocks someone else's prison. So I feel like, you know, in, in, in part, um, hearing stories of other women, um, you know, as well as my, you know, my children's acknowledgement of what was going on, that, that those stories were key in helping me recognize my situation and, and unlocking my prison. And, and I hope that my story um, can also be a key or a partial key for someone else to, you know, understand what's going on with them and to take next steps and, and move forward. Thanks. We'll end on that note. Thank you for joining us for this latest episode of Uninhibited. You can find more episodes to download at iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. You can also continue the conversation at uninhibited.community on Facebook, where you can like us and share, and you can continue chatting on Instagram 
at uninhibited.podcast. Special shout out to Trap Quilo for the beats.